Kevin, I'm impressed uh, by how how quickly you've caught up with the English accent. Have I? Yeah, you sound fancy Must already. Sound British. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Except when you laugh, buddy. Except when you laugh. <laughs> then, then we can tell you South Africa. All right. Hi and welcome to episode 51 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Tonight we're joined by Kevin. Hello, hello. And Len. Episode 51, woohoo! And our guests tonight are Yanku Volmerans. Hello, Yanku. Hey, everyone. And Ash Chaboeya. Oh, I butchered it up. Uh, almost, but you got it right. <laughs> hello, everyone. Um, my first podcast ever. Oh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Thanks. Os, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Oz Chiwahi. I'm a tester, um, currently working at Dario Solutions, but at a client with the Yanku Vormerans. That's how we we came to be together on this show. I think my history goes back to I got into software via the, the old um, batch processing days. I used to be a, a graveyard shift operator, if you want to call it that. And then I got into technical support of banking applications, and then I found myself applying patches and fixes and I thought, well, let me get closer to, to the development and find myself doing some testing. And I've, yeah, I've grown to really love testing and I've just grown to, to learn a lot about testing and how it fits into the delivery of software solutions and, um, you know, applications that we, that we use every day. So I'm on that journey now where I'm learning more about software testing and development and how we solve problems. Cool, thanks. And Yanku, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Yanku. Uh, if you were an English person and you didn't know how to pronounce it, the word young and the word coo as in c-o-o so yeah uh are you taking a stab at me here yanku <laughs> i'm not, not that british no no, no. <laughs> not yet <laughs> yeah so um I, you know uh i'm i'm finding it difficult to introduce myself uh the hardest hardest thing i've had to do in the last four years was choose a job title on linkedin so <laughs> So right now, my job title is a team member because, you know, I, th I think that describes myself as, as well as it could. Uh, I am a developer by trade, uh, but that's not all I do. So I, I tend to 
I tend to want to help people on their own journeys of software development and let's call it software craftsmanship. Uh, yeah, so, and I do some stuff around that. If I had to introduce you, I would say you're a software craftsman teacher and general loudmouth about software. That, that might work <laughs> as a new LinkedIn title. <laughs> I, I like it and I never would have thought I'm a loudmouth, but thanks. <laughs> Right, so we got you guys on tonight to talk a bit about software testing and uh, how clear kind of the waters, what software testing is, a, a better way of doing it, maybe break down some of the preconceived uh, ideas people have have about it. And I guess this was all set up by a talk you guys had, oh, I can't even remember if it was early this year or late last year at the Developer UG in Bryanston. You both presented together on this topic and that kind of, sparked my interest so i'm glad we could finally set it up <clears throat> but i also want to ask before we get into the details you guys also had the chance to go present overseas at let's test in sweden what like who wants to tell us a bit about that experience and and what 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 was the objective uh, what's sweden like how's the people the travel the summer so it all started with um Yanko, how far do we go back last year at let's test so uh, let's I test think it was the, the year before oh the year the year before even you're right so that that was 2014 and there was a one-day conference about testing which was called testing let's test and at that conference Yanko and i were sitting in a pub with um, um henrik Anson who is the, um, one of the organizers of Let's Test. And we spoke to him about how we work in our office. And he was like, guys, you mean you're a tester and a developer who work together and you sit together and actually do work together as a team? And we said, yeah, that's our daily lives. And he was like, well, that's a story the world needs to know. And I would love you guys to tell that story in, in Sweden. And we're like, in Sweden? That's when you told us, oh, we have a yearly testers conference, the best testers conference. It happens in Sweden. It's called Let's Test. And I think that's when the seed was born. From there, Yanki and I had the talk that, that you spoke about, Ken, where we were just highlighting that as developers and testers, we are more than what our labels or our titles are. We're actually there to work together, to solve problems together. And we built up that talk and came up with um, just the theme of collaboration. Our point is that, you know, when we collaborate and work together, we deliver more together and we actually get to the roots of the problem and we make our customers happy. Then our team started mobbing and we said, why don't we take this up further and incorporate some of that mobbing into the collaboration and show people how we do it and the results that it has had for us. So we submitted that as an abstract for Let's Test and we were fortunate enough to be accepted. So that, that's where the journey started. And I'll let Yanko give you the details of what's actually happened because we ended up uh, presenting not one but three three sessions at that conference 
I just quickly want to add in there, you mentioned mob programming. We did an episode uh, about mob programming with Martin Cronier. Uh, I think it was episode 15, the first one that Ken, Lenny and I did together um, as a team in October or so last year. So if you want to listen to that, that's episode 15. Yanku, go for it. Yeah, so um, we originally submitted only one session to Let's Test, which was one on mob programming. Uh, from a uh, from a perspective of, you know, this is a group of testers that we're going to be uh, talking to. So how do you incorporate a session on mob programming to a group of testers? Um, uh, so that was that was interesting. And we eventually ended up presenting three uh, different workshops. The one was on mob programming. Uh, we did one on Vim for testers, and we did another one on Flow, uh, which was around how work flows through a, a work system and the the kind of counterintuitiveness of, uh, of, of a lean process. So I, th I think that was uh, very insightful as well. Vim for testers. That's brave. I was just, <laughs> just going there. Yeah. <laughs> Did you like the first first most important thing is to teach them how to quit, otherwise they'll never get out. Well, that was the last thing we did because <laughs> we didn't want to leave you know them to leave the workshop earlier. <laughs> uh, sorry for sound like a troll. I love him. I've like cut my teeth on it. It's just <laughs> I'll, I'll also laugh so hard at those classic Twitter jokes. You know, I've been using Vim for a number of years, primarily because I can't quit. <laughs> yeah, you know, I am developer. As, we actually got some of uh, some of the best feedback from that workshop. Uh, I was not expecting that at all, and yeah, people seem to seem to enjoy it. Yeah, no, that was a great segue, actually. So, thanks. Uh, <clears throat> I think the first thing from here is to kind of clarify what do we mean with testers, um, and and then I guess the follow up to that is why would a tester need to know Vim? Who's going to define it for us? I think testing is uh, is very misunderstood in a lot of places, and uh, it's also not, not not valued as it should in a lot of places. And that's because of many reasons. Because maybe sometimes the testers themselves do not fully understand what their role is or what they're supposed to be doing. And maybe the team setup or the environment does not allow for testers to to be doing what they're doing or does not fully understand what the role of a tester is. Because it becomes a blur when you've got all the tools that can, you know, you can write your automated testing and have all your continuous integration and you know where your tests fail and you think, well, what do I need a tester for? But I see testing as really the mindset of somebody who, or the team that needs to get feedback or information out of a product and be able to present that information in a timeless manner, in a way that can um, either confirm that we, do, we, we are solving the right problem and in a way that is always constantly thinking about what it is that we have to deliver, what it is that we're trying to solve, if it's a problem or if it's a new product, 
what is the purpose of our product. So that's how I would define testing. That's very broad because it then becomes context uh, specific. If you're in a banking application, then you need to be able to, to understand that what your domain is doing, the problems that your domain is solving, and as a tester, you have to, to infect the whole team's mindsets with, guys, are we solving the problem? What other information do we not know about the product? And how else can we get that information quickly and get the feedback and close the gap between the end user and the developers and the product itself? Yeah, I like to make a clear distinction between testing and checking. A lot of what we do as developers in terms of writing uh, unit tests and doing TDD and, and all of that stuff, that's mostly checking. So I'm going to write a chest, uh, test to make sure that, you know, I've, I've tested the limits of, of the inputs. You know, is it, does, does it handle the minimum? Does it handle the maximum? You know, and kind of what happens in between. And sadly, what I've seen a lot of in the industry is that people think that's the job of a tester, that their job is to enter, you know, Foo lizard bar five million and ten into a text box and see what breaks, and that is just I I, I almost want to go as far as to say it's kind of people abuse in a way you know because that's that's the kind of stuff that developers just should handle you know we we're able to we're equipped to we're smart enough to do that kind of thing I I don't believe that we're being fair. Uh, to, to give people a job and say that's you know that's what you need to do that's that's your job testing is is much deeper than that and in, in fact that's why I, I don't even like to you know mention the two in in the same uh, same sentence there okay so if that's what a test is not then how would you define what a test is so I'm gonna give it from my developer perspective uh, because I misunderstood for a long time what it is that, that testers do. I'm, I'm not sure I fully get it yet, uh, just because I've started realizing it's much more than I, than I thought it was. But the way I see it uh, from my developer's perspective is that when I'm deep down solving a problem, I care about the code and I'm focused on the code and I, I want this thing to work and you know just do what I'm telling it to do. And I tend to lose sight of the bigger picture. I don't always keep in mind the entire system, or I might not keep in mind the user's pressing needs. Right now, I'm, I'm focused on some little thing because in, in our minds, we tend to break down problems into smaller and smaller bits. And then eventually, you, you focus on this one piece that you're trying to solve and the, getting this code to work. And that's what you're concerned with. And you stop seeing the wood for the trees. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just our focus is at a different level. Where I've seen the value with working like, you know, with testers like Oz would be, is that they always have this bigger picture in mind. So they're always there to say, you know what, stop this train for a bit. Can we ask the question, are we still on the right track? You know, are we still working towards solving the actual need? of this user instead of just producing something that we think uh, is the right thing. So that 
pulling pulling your head back up you know and, and helping you see the big picture and where it might affect other things so i did on my team Oz is probably the person with the most knowledge of the system that we work in because he he's seen all of it from start to finish. You know, all the developers in the team hasn't seen all of the system. They don't get to work on all parts of the system, whereas a tester like Oz would have that entire overview. Uh, they sometimes have the insight of where we might be touching something that could break something else that you might not be aware of, even that that are in some ways you know linked with some. <laughs> some dark line somewhere so that's that that is my my very basic understanding of of the value that a, that a tester can bring to a team maybe i can i can add a couple more there yanko i think you've you've touched on some of the important ones um for me i think testing is also about analyzing the risk the risk of the changes that we make to the system or the changes that we don't make to the system or the risk of how we solve problems. You almost have to have one eye on a telescope and look at the minute detail and you have the other eye on a, or rather one eye on a microscope and then the other eye on a telescope for a broader view of things. And I think that's a very important thing that testers do. Uh, testers are very good representatives of the users or the customers, which I think brings a lot of value and cuts that feedback cycle when we're developing a solution. So I want to go back to something Yanku said there. Uh, you used a very interesting word there that I picked out on, and it's that um, the word need and that the testers I can't remember the exact word you use now, but keeping mindful of the need of the user. Now, how, the needs of the user. Yeah, yeah. So, how is that defined? Uh, and perhaps can you give some example of uh, what that would look like? Yeah. So we we tend to think as developers, you you kind of go down. You know, where's my spec? You know, what are the requirements? Uh, and and we actually miss out on a on a great opportunity if that's your starting point to understand what this thing is that you're doing and this is again where i find a, a tester like us you know adding value because they almost act as a representative of the customer on the team because they they have in mind the need of this of the of the customer or or the user so developers tend to jump into solution mode very quickly so halfway through the first sentence of a user describing what they want to you, you're already designing this grand scheme of things and how it's going to fit together and how the messages are going to flow and what the UI is going to look like. And we tend to lose sight of what it is that the user actually needs. So we have in our team a range of skills and where the testing comes in is you, we even we start our testing before we write a single line of code. So that testing comes down to testing some assumptions with our users. So users, uh, I always say, you know, we've, we've trained users very well over the last 30, 40 years to tell us exactly what they want. And I, I think that's, we've, we've gone into, a, into uh, off into the wrong direction a little bit with that. Uh, 
when we try and understand fully what it is that a user needs and what the first thing that they ask for isn't usually what they need. So it's worthwhile trying to spend a bit of time and finding out what the actual need is because the, the first requirement that you get given might be their best attempt. But from a technology side where a development team ha are supposed to be the experts and know what is possible and how to solve problems, we can ask questions back and we can say, okay, but what is the actual problem that you're trying to solve? If I give you this, what are you, what value are you hoping to get out of it? What, how will it make your life better? Is kind of a straightforward way to ask the question. And that's kind of getting toward need. So, you know, it, I, I see it in, in one of a couple of ways. So it's, something we, we always talk about adding value but what does adding value mean adding value could mean you are going to save some person time somewhere so time is going to open up in their day to take on other work or spend their mind on something a bit more interesting than what they're doing right now uh, value could be you are creating something that's going to gener uh, generate revenue so extra income that's value and value can also be seen as work done in a development team that would increase uh, not just their capacity, but the capacity of the organization that they're, that they're part of. And I think if we, if we keep that in mind and we try and zoom in on what it is that people need, because usually it's something really simple. You know, they, they want to go home earlier or they don't want to do this mind-numbing work with, you know, which is just uh, easy to make mistakes in yeah yeah no that's that that's interesting um just thinking in terms of the context of what the user needs and i think that's so often the case you're right that the first thing that the user asks for is not what they actually need uh, and it takes it takes effort to digest that and come up with a solution that actually solves the the actual problem and it's that trap of constructing the solution before you even understand the problem. Yeah, as, I guess you, as you were saying that, uh, I was just thinking in my head, like, yes, I've done that. I've done that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think we're all guilty of that. Eh? You just like, ooh, new shiny, finally a chance to use that fancy new Snapchat database. And then like you've stopped <laughs> listening to the person. <laughs> so that that's, Yoga, that's I think that's one thing that struck me with you the presentation that you guys did is like the fact that well for one testing is not at the end it doesn't happen as the last step in a feature it actually if i remember right you guys had it like on, on like some kind of kanban board where the testing is kind of the very first thing and you kind of enter to that but it's at the like asking questions getting more information uh, having the right to veto something um, if it's like a rubbish feature or if it's actually been done before, you know, just in a slightly different way. <clears throat> and I'm kind of curious, how did it lead up to that? I mean, that's such a, um, I mean, it's obvious when you see it, but it's such a nonsensical way. Like, I'm curious, like, what the backstory is that made you guys work together in this way? Oz, you want to go this one? Yeah, so... I don't think I remember exactly how we ended up there, but I have a vague idea because of how the team works. So our team 
is probably the biggest critic of ourselves. You know, every retrospective can be heated and quite passionate. You know, when if you if you're to walk in, you you think these guys are are barely working together, but it's because everybody is just thinking about ways that we can get better and ways that we can improve. Um, this would have come from one of the retrospectives where I don't remember if there, were, there was a particular issue that had a, a reason, but we said, let's try you know, practicing what we preach. We say we want to test upfront. We want to, to be, you know, to do test-driven development, but how do we show that on the board? How do we make sure that what we are saying we're doing is what we're actually doing and we reflect that on the board? So that's how it came about. And as everything else on our board, it was like, okay, why don't we try it and have a lane where we can actually uh, elicit these requirements and understand these needs? So that, that, that line or lane used to be called elaborate and accept. And we realized that elaborating and accepting is not enough because you, it's one-sided. You're elaborating what the user needs and you're already accepting it for development. And we thought, why don't we go one step further and actually see if what the users think they need is what they actually need. And then why don't we try and solve the problem as soon as possible and you know, start to question if the problem that the users perceive as a problem is a real problem. And you're right, oftentimes, I can think of three times that we've had to go to the users, explain to them and work with them through the process. And as we did that, we, we saw a few gaps and asked a few questions uh, which the users made, which made the users realize that, oh, you know what? We do not need a software solution to this. Maybe it's a process issue on, on another side. Uh, the other issue turned out to be a timing issue with files that were not coming in as, as expected. So I think we just ended up in that place because we wanted to, to improve how we actually elicit and how we understand the user's needs. I think what's important in that is the way we see ourselves. So this team does not see itself as existing for the purpose of writing software. The framing is more, this team exists to provide solutions to problems or to enable the business in, in some sort of way. And you know, if that happens to involve writing code, then we'll write code. But that's not the primary responsibility almost. So if, if you, take that perspective on things then you you change how you approach uh, the problems so the first thing that you then do is well how do we know that the problem is solved and that's that's kind of a great question to start off with to to know when you're done and when you start down that line of questioning you sometimes end up in a place where you you manage to solve a problem without even writing code and that is just that's a powerful place to be and if you start asking questions and and sometimes we end up getting the business side to change their business processes to be more effective 
and it doesn't even come to the team to do an automated solution for this problem because you know a change of a business process uh, would have been easier and just much more effective than kind of plastering over the problem with some code yeah i like what you're describing that it forces you to go up a few levels no don't get don't get bogged down at the code level but go up a few levels and actually provide a solution to the business uh, that again provides value and we can debate exactly what the definition of value is but um the, but the bottom line is that it's going to be probably affecting the bottom line of the business at some level um and whether that involves code or not is actually largely irrelevant but i want to get a bit more into the testing when you do uh, decide on a software solution to a problem so in the assumption that you've gone through your uh, you've, you've gone through your requirements gathering and you've gone through your elaboration and acceptance uh, you've gone through all of these and you've decided yes okay the best solution we can do here we can put together here is to go and write some code and let that run um, what is the tester's responsibility then so once um, we've seen that a problem really requires a software solution and we have the team to do it the first thing that happens is a, a whiteboard session with um, a tester or testers and developers together and we go over our understanding of the problem if we have the business user at hand sometimes they join us and we map out on the board what the problem is and our understanding and what the risks are we sort of brainstorm over it and think about how we can solve that problem and at that point we're looking for the simplest solution that we can that we can find which will solve the problem we're looking to define what it is or a state that we want to get to for us to say the problem has been solved without complicating things and once we're happy with that we go onto a mob station everybody that's the, the testers and the developers and we start thinking about do we have a test around depending on whether this is a new piece of functionality if it's a new piece of functionality we'll do some sort of uh, test driven development around that okay let's write a simple test for it and make that pass and then grow from that test until we can find the logical the thinking that will solve the problem and then we it we will grow it from there if this is related to a piece of code that already exists we we also like to go to our tests and start playing around from the tests that already exist around that functionality and most of the time um, we have everybody on the mob station we have a timer on the mob where we switch drivers every 10 minutes and as a tester i'm also there and i'm contributing to the thought process so i think the role to answer your question the role of the test at that point is really bringing in a testers a testing mindset 
to the solution provision. So you would find that a lot of times the developers want to are very keen to get going and you know write out some awesome code that's just going to solve the problem magically and ship it out. And I'm I'm there as a test um, to to try and um, think about the risks that 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 we may have or that we may not be seeing. I'm there to ask questions that are not always obvious and to think about those things that are not always um, present, as we can see. And I'm also there as part of the team. So I, I will take my 10 minutes on the keyboard and you know, uh, code in the testing and whatever needs to be done, you know, a little bit slower than the developers, but yeah. I do my part, but I think at that point, the main role of the tester is to just bring that different perspective or mindset that is thinking about aligning the problem or the need to what we are building. And it and it's interesting because you don't expect uh, normally testers to to be part of the development process, you know pairing with testers or mobbing with testers and it it's it's quite an, an interesting experience when you when you do try it uh, the, the one thing that I've noticed is from uh, when you do that it changes the way you write the code so all of a sudden when there's someone that asks the question well why did you do that you know what is the significance of that and you know what is this what is this method doing? it kind of puts the focus on how well you write your code. We, we talk about self-documenting code and, 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 and code that is so descriptive that you don't need you know, external documentation to it. And that's a great way to do it, is have it with a, uh, a, a non-developer type person at the mob station and see how well you do. It, it changes the way you write your code. Well, if I look back at code I did just a few weeks ago, <laughs> that's quite a challenge, making it self-documenting. So would you say that the um, that mobbing is actually the, the glue in this whole thing, that you have everyone around the same table working on the problem together? I think it helps. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure whether I'd call it the glue yet, just because of where the team came from. The team has always had a strong culture of uh, collaboration and, and pairing, and we've done, uh, you know, pairing and pairing between developers and testers. It's it's kind of always been a, a thing on the team. So that culture of of, of working together has has always been there. I, I think mobbing has, in a sense, solidified it. Because now everyone is involved and we're loud, you know, and <laughs> it's it's going all the time. And it, it, it sounds and looks maybe to people walking past, you know, what on earth is going on here? It looks like chaos. But what we found is that it's it's this extremely high bandwidth communication happening all the time where, you know, no problem is a problem for much longer than a few minutes because everyone's contributing and everyone's talking and everyone's trying to figure it out, you know, and, and if you get stuck, you know, there's always someone that says, you know, hey, maybe we should take a break. And, and it, in, in a way that the team 
is looking after itself in in that way. Whereas if you have one person working on their own, you find you, you kind of stretch yourself sometimes and you get stuck in a problem, but you you really want to solve this problem. So you keep at it and keep at it. And I'm sure you know you've all had that experience where you just say, ah, oh, stuff it, you know, and you close your laptop and you go for the day. And as soon as you get up and take a walk, you know, it's ah, oh, you know, light bulb moment, you know, it just happens. And you you get these experiences just a lot more often when you're in a situation where everyone is working on the same problem all the time. It's interesting how that happens. Right. Um, how often do you guys mob? I mean, is it a full eight to five, five days a week, or is it like a once a day session, or, or how often, how frequent? So at the moment, we... We are mobbing from about 9.30. We have our stand-up at 9.30 and straight after stand-up. In fact, the very last question at stand-up is what is the one thing, the most important thing that the team is working on today? And in other words, that means what are we mobbing on today? So soon after stand-up, we mob right through to lunchtime, which is about quarter to 12 or whenever people get hungry. We do have breaks between the sessions. So we have the 10 minute driver sessions. And if people need to take a five minute break, you know, that can happen organically. People can leave and reconnect the mob um, as and when they feel. But that goes on until about lunchtime. And then after lunchtime, we restart mobbing. Can be from about one o'clock, Yanku. Is that about right? Um, maybe to yeah, that's about right. o'clock. Taking part in a in a mobbing session like that, it 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 asks the best the best of everyone. So it I find that going for four hours that's pretty much as as much as as I can give because then I I just don't have any more. And and I think it it for me it's put the spotlight on the difference between knowledge work and physical work you know if you're doing the same thing every day and in, in terms of physical uh, work you know digging a ditch or you know building a building or you know, whatever other physical activities you you may get into you, you can you can keep doing that you know given you've got adequate muscle power and which i probably don't uh, but in terms of brain and, and knowledge work you know it, it and problem solving it's a different kind of activity and when you're in that setting, it kind of takes it out of you. So, and and it sounds like, hey, you, you might only be working half day, only working for four hours a day and that kind of thing. But I think if you take a step back and you see how effective that whole process actually is, how quickly you get past these points where a single developer would typically get, get stuck on, it, it's almost, it's orders of magnitude uh, more effective than just one person working on their own. Uh, that's actually why I asked the question because it's like somebody walks past and they think we're paying five people. There's only one at the keyboard. What's going on? <laughs> How you break through that stereotype? But you you answered it quite nicely. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, as I, I know you've had uh, Kevin and Donnie on the show before. That uh, next time you you see Kevin, Kevin grab him and and ask him about you know information work and knowledge work and how that is actually different from manual labor. He's he's got a very very good story on that and and why it makes sense to do things uh, this way.
That's Kevin Trithui, by the way. Yes, got it. Now, definitely, we should get them back on that spine model. Show was mm. fantastic, and I'm sure there's a lot of other knowledge there. Yep. Yeah, okay, so I want to throw a curveball into this. So what happens when things do slip past? Uh, you know, we've, we've had this whole idea of starting off with testing and we want to uh, try and get things right and so that we've mitigated the risk early we've we've checked our assumptions something makes it past all of that and we put something out into production and it blows up so yeah that, that does happen because uh, these super awesome testers and developers are still human after all exactly exactly <laughs> yeah um i think what happens is there is um first of all there's a collective ownership of the problem because everybody was involved, there is no finger pointing and blame game and trying to find out, you know, which tester or why didn't the tester catch this. So if something does slip out uh, as it, you know, seldom does, um, the first thing is that the whole team will get onto it and try and, you know, rectify that. And because everybody was involved, in developing this, you find that there is shared context of what the problem is. And we are normally very quick at, at either backing out change or fixing it or you know, rectifying in whatever way is necessary. What we do do then is we go back and say, okay, as a team, let's look at this and ask our question, how, how this slipped out? How could we have improved this, you know, this process? What can we put in place to change this and to do something differently? And there are a few times when we've come out and said, you know what, this was, there was no way we could have tested or we could have seen this. Other times there were ways we could have seen and tested it. And we do put in place um, extra checks or extra pointers if it means writing something on the bar or on the board to say do not forget to upload the templates once this has gone through or whatever it is we then try and put in place something or a practice or a question or something that will help us to mitigate that in the future i, I think an important uh, add-on to that is it matters how your team is structured and how they're measured. As far as my knowledge goes, no person on the team that we're part of are measured individually in terms of, you know, KPIs. I, I'm pretty sure Oz isn't me measured by the number of bugs that he finds. You know, I'm definitely not measured by the number of lines of code that I write per day. And it, it, there is, it's expected of the team to deliver working solutions and that's kind of where it ends so my responsibility as a as a person on that team is to make sure that we do things as a team and as i'm saying that sorry i'm just trying to fight with a cat at the same time <laughs> <laughs> cats making an appearance on the podcast yes yes <laughs> and so it it's easy to get past the, oh, but it was your fault, you know, and why did you let this happen? 
because it's not going to reflect on any individual. There's, there is a strong sense of team. And I, th I think the only way that we're able to maintain that is that it's, and, and you know, I, I have to mention the management of the team, is that they, they absolutely are aware of this and know that that is, that is part of the success of the team that, that, that we work on, is the way that the team is measured. So if you measure people as individuals, they're going to you're going to draw out the kind of you know the behaviors that that would make individuals look good, and that's kind of when you get into you know this, this hero syndrome and people just fighting fires because it it makes them look good. Uh, when you measure a team and say to the team, "Hey team, here's a piece of work. Uh, this is what I'd like you to deliver. You do what you need to do in the best way that you think," and you know, if it's not successful, I'm holding the team accountable. It's not not a, a single individual on the team. It changes the way how people work together. You find that all of a sudden, you know, all of those bad behaviors kind of go away because there's there's nothing to incentivize them. So it, I, I do think that is an important part of the way that this team works. You know, you can kind of look at the practices and say, oh, you do mob programming and, you know, this is what your board looks like. If we copy these things, we will be successful. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. You need to look at how you know, the, the team is structured, how the environment that the team operates in is structured. I, I, I'm pretty sure that has much more to do with the success of a team than the practices that they employ. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I want to like ask another question off that. Now, since you guys have been touring with the talk and, and kind of sharing this knowledge, and I guess somewhere in the conversation, you said exactly that, what you just said. What kind of um, like resistance that, that you get like from people in teams where there's testers, where they go like, no, but this is impossible because X, Y, Z. If there's any kind of like typical stumbling blocks, and I guess it's more just so if somebody's listening and they want to do this, you know, for their team or pitch this idea so that they're kind of prepared for the possible common objections and, and that's, you know, and they can work around that. So when they do pitch uh, for this, like way to mature the team, how can they, um, like, what can they be prepared for? Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, I think I get it. Yeah, often we, we've been asked, you know, simple questions like, how do you get to sit next to a developer? You're a tester to very hard questions like, you know, how could you ever think of sitting next to a developer? So there is a, a wide spectrum of how people are relating within their teams. And I think what, what we've seen is, um, People need to establish more a social contract within their teams. And they also need an environment that is enabling for that. So in, in our talks, one of the, one of the points we had was that, you know, you could start by moving in with a tester. If you're a developer, sit next to a tester, get to know them as a person. And once you do that, you start to have a certain level of appreciation and respect for them, that they are also a person, they also have bad days, they also have good days, and they also laugh, they joke. And once that social aspect is overcome and people get to relate, relate better as humans, then the working relationship is, is already halfway there. 
So um, I, I think that's um, one of the biggest stumbling blocks that, that people still have in their heads. They still have titles um, and identify themselves as a developer or as a tester. And also some environments do not make it easy because they have developers sitting in one part of the office and testers sitting in a, in a dungeon somewhere or across the wall or in another part of the office. So already those physical demarcations will bring about um, competition because it brings about a separation in the mind as well. And our message is try to break down the whatever separation that exists, try to bring a collaboration over competition. And that way people will, will start to appreciate each other better and, and start working well together. Yeah, I'm sure Yanke has something else to add to that. I know that. <laughs> I just want to chime in there. The, uh, that reminds me of almost the Agile Manifesto when you said the um, collaboration over competition. Uh, that that's something that I think will be a key takeaway. Yeah, I I think again for me it 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 comes back to how do you structure the environment? You know, do you tell the testers? You know, I'm paying you to find bugs, so find bugs. If you're paying people to find bugs, guess what's going to happen? They're going to find bugs. If you tell people I am paying you to produce working software, never mind if you call yourself a developer or a tester or a business analyst, or wherever you may get involved in whatever skills you have to add to this process. If my mandate to you is, I need working software that solves problems, that changes the way you approach things. So if testers look at, look at something and say, you know what, I am paid to deliver working software, they're going to find the possible problems before you even start the development process because we understand that the earlier we find these problems, the earlier it is to fix it. And if you find these problems before you even start coding, you know, that is the cheapest place to change it. And uh, it, it, it again, it, it changes how people work together. So if you give them a common goal and, and vision to say that is, that is your purpose, then you can bring your individual skill at which you're good at. You know, I'm not going to pretend that I'm good at testing. Uh, I'm moderately okay at writing code, uh, but it, it doesn't matter what skill you bring. And we value those individual skills, but it changes the way that we work together. So we, we're not put in competition by saying, you know, I'm paying you to just, you know, churn out lines of code. I'm paying you to find bugs and I'm paying you to get the specs so that no one else has to waste their time on that. And then we call those functional silos. And we understand today, and, and sadly, in, in most large corporates, this is still the case where you do get the separation between these functional silos. But we understand today that that is not the most effective way for people to be working. I think from my side, I have one final question, and then we'll, we'll see what else already pops up. I'm sure We've kind of hinted to it somewhere down the line, and I think people might pull their own conclusions, but I want to like just put it out there. Like, I'm sure there's a tug of war between the job of software testers and automated systems doing uh, checking and verification. How do you guys, uh, how does the team balance that? 
I mean, I'm sure somebody out there who hates automated tests or even test-driven development go like, yes, it's like get somebody else on the team so I never have to write a test again. But it's it's quite clear that these are two completely different things. And as you even said, like how you guys work through the like TDD process. But I'm, I guess it comes from a place where having worked on more teams without formal testers than teams with it, I would have just naively said like, I'll write the biggest integration test suite ever uh, to cover all these things. But I mean, there must be some friction there or if you guys just not bothered with it. So it's interesting you say that. It's got me thinking I, I hadn't really thought about that. And I guess it's because I don't see the friction myself. Um, I am a proponent of um, automated testing where it makes sense. So we're always very intentional and we always try to evaluate um, what it is that we're trying to do. We don't just go and say, oh, we're going to write a big test for this. Or we will always think about what it is that we want to test. And then the next question is, if there is value in testing this, what is the best way of getting feedback or getting information out of this process of our thinking or our design? And for most of the cases, we do always have unit tests. You know, as much as we can, and we always try to get some integration testing going. But I think we we separate that because we know that is testing our thinking, our modeling of the of the solution, our design, the thinking that has gone into the solution. Whereas um, the the testing that humans do is more of thinking at a broader level, at a higher level where we're thinking of the problem in context to the environment and everything else that is around it that, that a system cannot give you. So um, I actually think that they complement each other. And I, I often like to get involved in, in, in writing tests or fixing integration tests that, that would have been broken, maybe not as often as I, as I like to. But yeah, I, I see automated tests as a tool that can be helpful in you know the development process in making sure that when we maintain our code when we amend our code or extend our code we do that safely so i i don't think there is friction or direct competition per se but maybe it comes with the, with the maturity of the team and understanding and being intentional on you know what it is that we want to do and what the best way of approaching that thing is Oz, you you mentioned the word context uh i'm not sure if you want to give people like a very brief overview of of this thing called context driven testing maybe for those who haven't heard of it yet mm, yes please so context driven testing is really um i hate to use the word school <laughs> but it's a it's a way of thinking about testing that takes into, into, into account the very context that one is in. So at a high level, it is a kind of testing that says, you know, there is no, you cannot prescribe a, a, a best practice way of testing that will apply to every context. 
you really have to look at the problem, you look at the domain, you look at the environment, you look at the technology that is in place, and you look at the skill that is available in the team. Because you might want to say, oh, we have to write big, great integration tests. But the reality is, at that point in time, maybe the team doesn't have the skill to do that swiftly enough, you know, or maybe the team doesn't have the capacity to do that swiftly enough. So I think context-driven um, testing is testing that really concentrates on the thinking process that goes into everything. It, it takes account of the environment and it is focused on the intellectual part of testing. So I think that that's what we, we, we try to do in our team. We do not prescribe, we don't come up with a solution that we say, oh, we, we always write automated tests or we always do this because we realize that every problem is different. And, you know, as Kevin, Kevin said earlier, you know, value is a debatable thing. Sometimes you don't want to spend a whole lot of time writing automated tests for something that as you as you view the value of it will not be necessary. So we always try to get the most out of what we have. It's about being resourceful at the time. Yeah guys, I think we could keep on talking about testing for hours on this, but um I think we're pretty close to time. Kenny, do you think we or do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think from my side it's covered um thank you guys so much it's fantastic um i don't know if from from oz young if there's anything important we missed out that you think people should hear i guess now's the chance uh yes there is uh, i just don't know what it is yet it'll hit me after we end this podcast <laughs> have another show later yes definitely sure shall we do some picks then Kenny, do you want to kick us off? Okay, well, I didn't have one entering the show, and then Len gave me one on a platter in the pre-call. Um, <clears throat> it's actually another episode from Freakonomics, uh, an old one that they fairly recently uh, rebroadcasted, and it's basically asked the question, how much does the president really matter? In this case, president of the USA. And I just think with this Trump circus going on, it was quite insightful to to get a, a feel for um, how the most powerful man in the world is not nearly as powerful as, as we would like to believe. So it's, it's just a bit of, it, it's interesting backstory mm -hmm. and some comfort given what's going on at the moment. And uh, yeah, that's my only pick. Interesting one. Yanku, what have you got for us? Have you got something? Yeah, I do. Uh, so let me get my list open. How much time do you have? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All night, so, buddy. All night. <laughs> my, my, my picks are, it's, it's nothing new. Uh, but they kind of came to mind as I, as I was thinking about this. And, and, and really, I, I think these are, these are kind of timeless for me. So the first thing I want to I want to mention is the is the C2 wiki. So I'm not sure who of you are familiar with the C2 wiki. Ward's wiki. Yes, Ward's wiki, exactly. So yes. the the original wiki. You can you can lose hours in that. 
absolutely and and it's such a great resource just n not just in terms of you know patterns and and things that are being discussed on there but also the history and see how people's thinking mm. has evolved over time uh yeah as you say you can absolutely lose yourself for hours and on there I, I can definitely recommend it so uh, uh go to is it c2.com or.org now I've, I've lost it uh anyway yeah. please uh, check it out uh, there's some interesting stuff on there <laughs> Yeah, it can be a little bit hard to navigate at first, but just click around and you'll find your way eventually. Yeah, definitely. The <laughs> second one uh, I have is Martin Fowler's refactoring book. Uh, that it, it, you really, it's just really something that you need to work through and actually practice along as you as you work through it. Uh, it if you're a developer, it will change your life. Uh, I thought I understood refactoring, and uh, then I thought I understood refactoring better. And then I read the book and, and realized I didn't understand refactoring. So <laughs> if you want to understand refactoring, read the book. Uh, that's the second one. And the third one I want to mention is another classic. It's Fred Brooks's uh, paper called No Silver Bullet. Uh, it's written in the 80s sometime. And the, the core takeaway, uh, well, right now for me, there's, there's lots of takeaways. But the thing that keeps popping up for me is the concept of essential versus accidental complexity. The more I think about it, the more I realize how much uh, complexity we developers inflict on ourselves every day. <laughs> and uh, it, it really is worthwhile reading a couple of times and, and thinking over when we cause pain for ourselves when we don't really need to. Those are my picks. Thanks. Cool, cool. Oz, have you got anything? Yes. Um... Yeah, so I've I've picked up um, Pete Mc McBrain's book, uh, Software Craftsmanship. I hadn't read it. Uh, just... But you're a taster. Oh man, I... <laughs> yeah, I thought you and I got over this. This is the second time I've heard this book reference today. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah, I was listening to a podcast where Uncle Bob was referring to this book. Ah, right. I'm honored to have the same pick as Uncle Bob. <laughs> but this book, I think, is a gem. I'm I'm just kicking myself that you know why did it take so long for me to read it? But at the same time, I'm I'm quite I'm very thrilled that I'm, I've got my hands on it. And I think everyone who cares about delivering software solutions, I don't care what you call yourself, a tester, a developer, or whatever. I think you need to to read this and at least once. Um, I'm sure I'm, I'm going to be reading it again. So that's my first pick. And um, my second one is um, uh, Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, there is an history in pictures there, which I, I so often enjoy. It just has the most amazing and some of the bizarre you know, pieces of history, but all, all captured in, in, in picture. So it's interesting. You know, from the 18th century, some of the nine, well, there are no cameras there, so it would have to be 19th century, but most of it from, from the 20th century, really good. Um, the third one is, uh, if you're interested to know more about testing, there's going to be a, a testing conference called Let's Test in October this year, so that's coming up and it's well worth every penny. Look it up. Uh, let's test South Africa. It's going to be awesome. Cool. Uh, where is that running? 
So that's going to be in Mall District okay. from the 2nd to the 4th of October. Cool. You can check it out at letstest.com. And I, I just want to chime in there. I think this is a really good conference for developers to attend. It, it kind of gives you a new perspective on and on what testing really is and, you know, getting to know a couple of friendly tester type people. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely got, got something out of the last deaths test that I attended. That's fun. Okay. So that's early October. Um, I've got just one pick that's kind of related that came to me while we were talking, a blog post on coderscraft.com, uh, titled blameless postmortems and adjust culture, uh, talking about the culture around, uh, how they do retrospectives and postmortem reviews uh, at Etsy and the culture around that not, it speaks to a lot of the points of how are people measured and uh, not specifically you know measuring by how many bugs someone found specifically anyway it's a, it's a really good blog post and I think it's a kind of culture that should be installed into every software business if you want to be productive cool yeah sounds like I want to read it <laughs> Cool. And uh, I think that's it. We can wrap it up. Call it a show. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, excellent. Thank you for having us. I uh, really enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I totally enjoyed that. Yeah, That was a big pleasure. Thank you, guys. <coughs> Cheers. Cool. Cheers, Cheers. everyone. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye.